eyes peeled, everyone. It's time for the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Full 10 Yards College Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, obviously, as usual, Lee Wakefield here on the airwaves. Um, yeah, back again, flying solo for another little review of college football. And I'm just going to cover a couple of topics as well that are pretty topical at the moment uh, that we'll cover at the end of the show. Um, I, won't, I won't actually give that away, actually. I'm just going to dive straight into it. So I'm just going to start off um, with the ACC. I wanted to run through a few things, got a few talking points. One player in particular that we keep mentioning on the podcast that will get another mention. Um, and I'll just go straight into him, actually. That's Jamie Newman from Wake Forest, the Wake Forest QB. Um Obviously, they were on they were on BT Wake Forest versus UNC on Friday morning. Uh, gave that a record. No, sorry, Friday evening. Sorry, Friday evening going into Saturday. Um, gave that a record, and this is my first chance to sort of get a proper look at Jamie Newman. Not someone who's been on my radar before this season, but obviously Thomas Robert, who uh, is one of our writers. He has been sort of been been a big advocate of Jamie Newman over the the past few weeks. Um, he's playing well, you know. Wake Forest are three and O. Oh won every game, uh, played against this UNC team that had also had a good start to the season. And from what I saw, I quite liked Jamie Newman, to be honest with you. I had a chance to watch him for the properly for the first time in this game, like I said. Um, and I saw some nice traits. Uh, he fits balls into nice tight windows, uh, isn't afraid to sort of go in between defenders, in between the zones. And he can put some zip on the ball and show an intermediate levels uh, when he's when he's, zip, when he's zipping him in there. Um, he's playing with a lot of confidence, and you can kind of tell that by his demeanour, the way he's sort of doing that. He, just, he has this sort of fearlessness to put those balls in, the, in those tight windows, as I mentioned. Um, and he's got some swag going on, I could say. You know, yeah, especially with the ball in his hand as a runner. Um, you, you can tell he's kind of bulldozing his way through. He scored two touchdowns on the ground. Uh, against UNC on the weekend and uh, like I say he's playing really well and, and Wake Forest got a bit of a soft schedule as we mentioned and they could be uh, they could be know, a few more weeks with get get you know potential loss because they've got quite a soft schedule coming up as I say in terms of long term Jamie Newman's a junior right now uh, as we've mentioned before he's kind of timeshare this is his first year as a starter coming out I don't think he should come out if, even if he continues to play really well, I think he should continue to develop. There's definitely a few things in his game that are suddenly developing. Uh, I don't think he's got the strongest arm. I think he could could kind of hit the weights and um, gain some more arm strength if possible. And also, you know, just, just become a better quarterback. I think, you know, there's not many players out there that can sort of time chef one season, start for one season and, and come out and play in the NFL and start and, you know, expect success. Um, I don't think he's got any sort of rush. He's only twenty-one years old at the moment. Um, so yeah, I think he should stay in school, stay at Wake Forest, um, continues to develop, and you know, could be an intriguing uh, player, an intriguing senior in the twenty twenty-one draft class the year after this. So yeah, just wanted to mention Jamie Newman right at the top of the show. I know we've kind of mentioned him. Uh, he was definitely someone that we've got our eye on over here at Fulton Yard CFB. Um, so yeah, no, I want to sort of signpost that one for everyone. Next up in the ACC. Uh, I think we just wanted to mention Clemson at Syracuse, and this was obviously one that we all had our eyes on. I think this is one that me and Tom had our eyes on when we went, sort of went through our calendar in the preseason. One that we circled for this week. I think this was our game of the week, and it really was just a bit of a bulldozing, wasn't it? I mean, Clemson are on the march three and zero, uh, and yeah, they were scored fourteen in the first quarter. Trevor Lawrence looking good again, although he did throw two picks, but looking sort of efficient. 
almost putting up 400 yards, three touchdowns, and also ran one in on the ground. And yeah, just looking imperious, you know, Syracuse is one of the teams that everyone's kind of had as a sleeper and had Dan to do well in the ACC. And um, yeah, it was 41 to six to the Tigers, which kind of tells you all, all you need to know. Um, and yeah, I just think they're just kind of marching and there's no one that can really stop them at the moment. Now, moving on, um, we just wanted to mention Florida State losing to Virginia. Obviously, this is a kind of proud um, program in Florida State, the Seminoles, and um, this is not going the way that they expected. Um, you, you know, Willie Taggart, he's having kids set up lemonade stands to make money to pay, up, pay his buyout at the moment. And uh, I saw one person on Twitter advise the kid who, who set up this lemonade stand to um, set it up outside the stadium and they make the buyout money pretty quickly. There's quite a lot of disgruntled Seminole fans out there. Um, James Blackman, he didn't play too badly, you know, in this game, but, you know, didn't get the job done. And one person I really feel sorry for at the moment on the Florida State um, Florida State team is Cam Akers, the running back. Really talented running back um, in a really deep class. And, you know, if you wanted to be getting drafted pretty high, especially in this class when it's so deep, you're going to need to be blowing the doors off your opposition, kind of doing what Travis Etienne, J.K. Dobbins, uh, Jonathan Taylor kind of doing. Um, he can be because it's always going to be in that sort of second tier, um, behind those three and maybe one or two more. Uh, but he's just not been he's just not been allowed to flourish in this offense. And you know I think he's going to be one of those people that kind of slips down to the mid rounds. He'll need a good combine, and um, you know he could he could surprise people. He could be the next sort of uh, mid round great running back to come out of college football. And uh, you know that could be because he's in a much better offense than than he's in at the moment. Quite frankly, because Florida State are not going anywhere. On the flip side of that, on the other side of that, Virginia going very well, three and zero now, ranked twenty first overall. Bryce Perkins is making some people take notice. Um, didn't have the greatest of game, but obviously he's that dual threat, which obviously gets everyone excited. And uh, yeah, Virginia going quite well in the ACC, but we all know that the ACC is pretty much Clemson versus the rest. Uh, so yeah, that's just what went to round up in the ACC. I thought it was quite interesting. Um, sort of conference sort of review for straight off the bat um, just looking down the rest of the the results as they were coming in sort of over the weekend over Saturday evening and beyond and there isn't a great deal else to talk about I, I don't think I don't think I think it was a bit of a quiet week in college football in terms of any real talking points so yeah I just wanted to sort of mention the ACC and move on to a couple of other things talk about a couple of more people tonight and um and yeah, like I say, move on to this kind of really topical subject that I'm going to get onto right at the end. Uh, obviously, can't go too long in the podcast without mentioning the Pac-12, um, obviously. Now, obviously on staff, we've got Thomas Rober. He's a UCLA fan. Uh, couldn't be with us tonight, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I'm sure we'll get his uh, thoughts on this subject matter uh, in, in, the, you know, in the near future. Just want to talk about Chip Kelly. Now, obviously, Chip Kelly used to be a bit of an innovator. Um in the college game, he was obviously Oregon head coach and a few jobs before that. But one one that he really made his name was obviously with the Oregon Ducks with Max Mariota, and you know he was two time Pac twelve, well Pac ten I suppose at the time, um, head coach of the year. But that feels like a long time ago now. Um, you know he obviously got his move to the NFL with the Eagles, then subsequently the 49ers, and ultimately, you know, Chip failed. Um, he wasn't great in the NFL. He wasn't this innovator and didn't change the game how everyone thought he would. Um, obviously, you know, still highly highly regarded in the college football game, 
And, you know, UCLA, I think he was um, also interviewed for the Florida job, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, UCLA fans were very, very happy about his hire. It was a big hire at the time, lots of positive vibes around it. Um, in his first year, obviously, didn't do, didn't do too well at all. Um, but, you know, they were kind of they were kind of willing to sort of let that go and uh, they kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt, I guess. And Chip was still this big name, still got this innovative style, uh, but it's really, really not going well. You know, they played San Diego State, they played Cincinnati in the first couple of weeks and Oklahoma, which obviously, you know, you're not expecting UCLA, to, I'm not expecting anyone to be Oklahoma. I've been a big vocal advocate of theirs. Um, so you kind of write that one as a, off as a loss, but you know UCLA fans before the game and uh, before the season, sorry, I know they would have wanted to win those first couple before heading into Oklahoma. I know Thomas was was very much along the, that sort of train of thought um, before heading, heading into Oklahoma, which is kind of everyone wrote off as a loss. So you'd expect in UCLA kind of before the preseason to be sat here at two and one, which they're not. They're three in they're zero and three, sorry, which obviously isn't great. Um, so yeah, two two uh, big talking points there. Obviously with Chip, and then the second one is Dorian Thompson Robinson, who you know isn't looking isn't looking great at all. To be honest, he's running quite underwhelming. A lot of Ferrari about him, big dual threat, high school recruit coming into UCLA, and he's looked pretty average, hasn't he? Uh, let's be honest, not exactly tearing up with arm or leg. To be honest, um, he's on five touchdowns this season, so four interceptions already isn't great, his completion percentage isn't very high either, um, 54%. And, you know, for this dual threat quarterback who, you know, was quite lauded coming out of high school, he, he's rushing um, yards at the moment at minus 45, so that tells, that tells you all you need to know about his potency on the ground, to be honest with you. Um, you know, he's still young, he's still a sophomore, he's still sort of learning his way, it's his first year starting under Chip Kelly at UCLA and in college football in general. Um, but yeah, not what we expected to see. We kind of wanted to see a lot more from that young man. Um, early doors. Um, so yeah, I mean, the only way is up, I guess, but not the best start. I know Thomas is pretty upset, and I'm sure lots of UCLA fans are pretty upset about how it's going so far. Um, so yeah, that kind of rounds up um, all the bad stuff. We are talking about Chip Kelly, Willie Taggart, and, uh, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Now I want to talk about the good stuff. And uh, talk about one of our favourite players, one, one player that I've talked up quite a lot throughout the preseason and I will continue to do so as time moves forward and that man is of course the Oklahoma Sooners quarterback Jalen Hurts uh, I think we all know we're all fans of Jalen Hurts on the podcast anyone who's listened to us over the last few weeks will we'll know our, sort of our love for him and and how we sort of rave about him every week and like I said we'll continue to do so uh, if he keeps performing the way he does um the potential season in the preseason was just perfect, wasn't it? You know, it's very early in the season, um, but, you know, it's looking like it's all sort of blossoming the right way. I was reading an article on The Athletic yesterday. Uh, they had their writers do like a mock Heisman vote. Now, there was 50 writers who sort of got involved and, you know, they kind of did what the Heisman Trophy voters do. They they give a first, second and a third and, you know, they told the points, blah, blah, blah. And... Um, out of the 50 writers that voted in this this mock Heisman vote, uh, 47 had Jalen Hurts as the Heisman frontrunner and gave him a first place vote, which is is you know it's a landslide really, isn't it? You know, and like I say, the stars are aligning a little bit on Jalen Hurts. We've got a veteran quarterback with exceptional leader skills, leadership skills, sorry, 
who's playing with a huge chip on his shoulder, and we can see that by his post post game interviews. You know, we saw in the first week um, he was talking about not being satisfied despite absolutely blowing the doors off in his season opener, and you know we we saw in the I think it was the last game against UCLA um, where he is talking about doing weights. He's going back and doing work. You know, after another big win. Uh, and that just shows like the sort of mindset that he's that he's got. And um, if you follow the CFB account, the um, at Fulton Yard CFB, you'll see us with all sorts of Jalen Hurts propaganda and talking about him being a Heisman winner. But you know, it, I think it's it's without. It, I think it's it, sorry, it's not without. It's with much. I'm, we've got more, a lot of reason to do so. I would say. Um, you know, like I say, he's playing with his massive chip on his shoulder. He's playing an incredible offense, which just produced the last two Heisman winners. You know, and you know, if we just go into the stats. Uh, 880 passing yards, 80.3% completion percentage, which in itself is insane. And, you know, just the execution that that takes to make the correct decision and and complete 80% of your passes is absolutely crazy. I know it's a small sample size, obviously we're only three games into the season, but it's still 80%. You know, like I say, it's execution. It's able to sort of pull it off and and... You know, it's his first year in the system. It's not so he's been sat there for four years in Oklahoma, playing the same system, learning the system. He's come in, and it's just a testament to his professionalism and how easily he's been able to pick up the the offense and the system and just take command of the offense. Uh, and that's just that's just passing. And all this is whilst rushing for three hundred and seventy three yards, which over you know in an average is nine point eight yards a clip, which is just insane. Again, uh, more than 150 yards more than the next quarterback, which is of course another friend of the podcast, Khalil Tate of Arizona, and it's a lot more. It's a lot more than some running backs. <laughs> um, Hertz has got the same amount of yards as Zach Moss of Utah, and obviously we know that Zach Moss absolutely tore it up in the first week against BYU, and yeah, Hertz has got four rushing touchdowns, the same as Moss actually, <laughs> incidentally again, and uh, he's throwing touchdowns as well. He's throwing nine touchdowns, and he's yet to throw a pick, so it's just outstanding. Let's be honest. Uh, and like I say, I know we mention him every week and we'll continue to do so, but I obviously was a big fan of his. I'm a big fan of his in general. Um, I didn't think he was the greatest passer in Al- uh, in Alabama before he got ousted by Tagovailoa, but he's, you know, he's obviously gone up a notch. Uh, he's obviously worked, he's learned, and um, yeah, maybe it's the motivation as well. But he's outperforming my expectations for the season. And like I say, I had him down as a Heisman winner and I still do. But he's far exceeding the, the bar that I set for him. And long may that continue. I think they're on the march. I, I would. Um, I need to check in with Oklahoma. Actually, I need to watch them as a full game on a Saturday evening when they next got on. Uh, maybe might check them out on the ESPN player the next time I can. Um, and just enjoy watching Jalen Hurts because I think it's going to be very enjoyable indeed. And maybe we need to get Lincoln Riley to the NFL. Speaking of the NFL and speaking of young quarterbacks, um, we'll talk about one guy. We'll flip over... Uh, away from college football, a little second, and we'll talk about a rookie. And I want to talk about Gardner Minshew. I know I mentioned him last week, uh, but again, just, you know, if people people are, we kind of do the the before and after. And if we're we're talking about Gardner Minshew, I guess everyone else is. So we we got to sort of follow the same. Now I know the Jags offense isn't exactly the most exciting in the league, and I can kind of tell you that from a first hand perspective. As when I was playing my face of the franchise on Madden Twenty recently, is where I got drafted. So I know that it's all boring to play as the Jags offense. So, you know. Anyway, that could be a, a future conversation, a future pod. Because I know we're going to talk gaming in a, in um in a in a future in a few weeks. I think it is going to be when we get a, a special guest on to talk about some gaming, talk about some NCAA football and some Madden. But yeah, anyway, Jacksonville week one. 
set the scene. Uh, Nick Foles on the centre. You know, big contract, bit of expectation, not too much expectation, you know, because Nick Foles is the Jags. Um, and Pop goes to collarbone in week one. And Jags fans, if they weren't already, um, with that offence and Nick Foles, um, just feeling pretty deflated, I guess. And, you know, you're already playing the Chiefs, you're not expecting a great deal anyway. But then enter the man, the myth, and the growing legend that is Gardner Minshew the second. And actually, you know, they did okay, both of them, you know, uh, I mean... The Jags are 0-2, <laughs> but for a six-round rookie, Minshew is actually pretty good. Um, again, I'm being very stats-based, and it's not very very like me, actually, in this podcast. Uh, but again, you know, he's completing 77%, so he's making plays through the air. He's making some on the ground as well against Houston. He ran for six. He's, he ran six times for 56 yards. And to be honest, again, my expectations weren't super high of Minshew, but again, he's really ex- exceeding them. I didn't think he was ready for this at all. Um you know, when he's coming out of Washington State, I didn't think he, I didn't expect him to play at all, and probably not did he. Let's be honest. Um, but you know, the, I thought the sixth round was about right. I thought you know he's a late round project. You know, as I mentioned, most of his or some of his collegiate experience, should I say? Well, let's just go through his sort of CV. You know, he's playing at Eastern Washington. Um, I think in the American Conference, off the top of my head, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I probably should get that right since I'm I'm doing a college podcast. Uh, and then after that, he he went to JUCO. He was, I can't remember the school in in Mississippi. Um, won the junior college uh, national championship, and this was all after trying to walk on at Troy, which is obviously not the biggest school in the world, and that's why he sort of went to what um, East Carolina. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of his, his journey before he went to Washington. Uh, yeah, Washington State, and then. As I mentioned last week, he was going to be, this is all before potentially becoming a coach at Alabama. And then it was Mike Leach that sort of dragged him to Washington State, told him you're going to be my QB. And uh, he had a lot of success, which in the air raid offense, the legendary air raid offense of Mike Leach, um, which isn't a, isn't really a pro-style offense at all. Although, you know, we're seeing more and more colleges colleges influence the NFL with their offenses and, and what they're doing and being innovative. Uh, but I thought it would take me a little bit longer to adjust than he, than he has done, although he's not won a game yet. You know, the signs are there that Minshew's going to be at least a valid placeholder, let's say, until Falls comes back. And it's not as though the Jags were expecting, you know, to challenge this year, not going to win a Super Bowl. So give the kid a chance, I would say, you know, unless he completely melts down, stick with him. Um, you know, you could have a good one in your hands for, it's going to be very cheap on a very late drafted deal for at least the next couple of years, you know, if he absolutely balls out. You know, he's going to get an extension like like you know like any QB that's balling out does deserve. And uh, yeah, you know he's done for almost five thousand yards last year. Although you know it was only one year in sort of high level Power Five college football, but he did very well. He was fifth in Heisman voting last year, and so he obviously knows how to play the game. And I think if if we've seen one thing from Gardner Minshew since he's entered the spotlight in the last couple of weeks, he doesn't like confidence. And that's you know if you if you're going to be confident with something, um, you know you're going to you're going to be you know, half decent at it at least, you know, and, and that's goes a long way in the, the quarterback position, I would say. So yeah, no, I think give Gardner Minshew a chance and see what see what happens uh, with the Jags. You know, they've they've really got nothing to lose apart from cutting Nick Foles and having a load of dead cap. Anyway, that that rounds up sort of what I wanted to cover tonight. I just wanted to just mention this um, this very hot topic at the moment. I'd say, and that's whether college athletes should get paid. Um, I'm entitling this sort of segment of the podcast, Pay the Kids. Pay the Kids. That's what you got to do. This is um, obviously the, the recent news that a court in California has ruled that the NCAA should allow p- 
players and athletes of all sports, not just football, um, to be paid for taking part in those sports. The NCAA is obviously against this. Uh, they say they could expel California-based schools and because it, it would give them a, an unfair advantage when recruiting because obviously kids would want to go to play in California because they could get paid, whereas elsewhere in the country they couldn't. Um, you know, we've seen a few sort of cases highlight this throughout the years. One that always springs to mind, in, in my mind at least, is the Larry Tunsil case. Um, and first and foremost, let's just address let's just address one thing before we start. We know that college athletes get paid in one way, shape, or form, or another. Mostly via you know under the table bag men that slip the money and and help them out in some ways or another, or buy free gifts and things like that that they'll, they'll get to sort of get by. Now, obviously, this came out publicly when Tunsil was offered. Um, Offered something, and he had that. He had that uh, fall in the draft with the now infamous gas mask bong video, which still kind of makes me laugh to this day. To be honest with you, <laughs> um, obviously that was leaked on the night on the on the night of the draft, and not only that, um, which obviously everyone remembers because for various reasons it's hilarious and and obviously a big story because Tunsil was potentially going to be the number one overall pick uh, in the in the in the draft and he dropped down all the way to number 13 in Miami when Miami picked him up um but there's also another thing that came out that's kind of gone under the radar a little bit there was also a, a conversation released a text message conversation like screenshots of Tuttle where he appeared to ask old miss staff for money to pay his rent now obviously this is this is what I was talking about earlier, earlier a moment ago where we know that these kids get a little bit of help. We know there's a lot of shady dealings in college football. We know that families and the kids themselves sometimes are getting paid when they're getting recruited out of high school to to go to a different school. You know, it, it, it happens, and and kids and kids and colleges have got in trouble with it before, and they probably continue to do it again and again and again. But I think it's time to do away with all that shady stuff, the shady side of college sports, the college, the side of college sport that no one really wants to talk about. Start paying the kids. Start paying, you know, them to do something. I think you've got to at least pay them something. You know, we look at it from the outset. College football and college sports in general is a multi-billion-dollar industry. Coaches, not only in college football, but they're getting paid millions of dollars by these institutions. Yet the labor force, who's risking their careers and their future earnings, and they're playing for free. It's kind of it just it just it's almost. At all, I don't. I don't throw this term around lightly, but it's almost bordering on slavery, a little bit. I don't think they get should. They should get paid extortionate amounts. Not not anything anything close to it. Not anything close to what they'll earn in the pros. Um, because I'm not really sure that a lot of kids are in great situations. I'm not sure a lot of kids who are in college are, are ready to be really, really very wealthy at such a young age while they're getting their education. And they, they, let's be honest, they're getting their education for free as well, which obviously is. Not the be all and end all, but it's definitely something to be taken into consideration. Now, what do we think? Well, we know what Tim Tebow thinks, and if anyone's not seen it already, I would advise anyone to sort of go and see what he said. Um, it was all over the, over the, the social media, all over the Twitter, and you could probably find it very easily. He was kind of calling out the culture, saying it would take away from college sports being about fandom and about... Uh, people wanted to play as a team, basically, and he called it a me, me, me culture. And I thought he was pretty out of line to say that, Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow obviously comes from a very wealthy family. He's also made some decisions in the past that could be maybe 
looked at and said that he was making a decision about himself and not his team. But anyway, we won't go too much into that. I think it was pretty out of line to say it was a me, me, me culture for the kids. And some of these kids, obviously, as we know, come from quite disadvantaged backgrounds. Uh, and football's a way out, or at least a way of paying for their college tuition and and getting a, and making a better life for themselves and their families. You know, and these kids have got to, got to attend classes. They've got to practice. They've got to go and do gym sessions. They've got to lift. They, they don't have time to sort of get a side hustle going or get a part-time job like a lot of college kids will do, you know, like I would have done when I was in college or like thousands and millions of other kids do when they're sort of in their higher education and they're able to sort of sustain themselves whilst, um, you know, just doing other things that young, young, young adults like to do. And, you know, not that players can do everything that young adults want to do, you know, they do have to make some sacrifices. But, you know, having a talent, usually needs to reward it and that's what we're talking about here um and we're talking about sort of safeguarding um kids from from being taken advantage of as well um because some kids you know they have kids already when they're in college some leave college early and the hope of getting drafted and don't make it to the nfl in fact most don't so pay up ncaa uh yeah they should i think like i say they should pay up and uh, i'd be really interested to hear um, everyone's thoughts on this. I know I put out a poll on Twitter on I think, I think it was Saturday morning, it might have even been Friday. And yeah, there was there was a pretty overwhelming win for the that the, the NCAA should start paying kids at least something. So yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But yeah, that kind of rounds us up um, for this episode of the Full Ten Yards College Football Podcast. I've been your host Lee Wakefield. You can follow me on Twitter at Wakefield ninety. And if you want to follow the Full 10 Yards College Football account, that'll be at Full 10 Yards CFB. But yeah, that's your weekly dose of college football. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to round it out. So yeah, we'll see you on the other side, people. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For all your football needs, check out our website, Full10Yards.com, or follow us on Twitter at Full 10 Yards CFB. And remember, Keep those eyes peeled.